There's almost a universal understanding that fathers are to protect their families. It's funny, I was looking in scripture about God's uh, commands to men, and at least looking at a couple kind of lists, I couldn't see a whole lot that actually mandated that, uh, but I think that we all understand that. Fathers protect their, their, their families. And there's many lengths that people around the world have gone to protect their families, to be equipped for future, uh, for future times of crisis or for disasters. Now, coming from the Pacific Northwest, uh, they're very big about prepping up there, and it includes lots of weapons. Preparing for future disasters includes lots of weapons. Nice Christian people, you'd be surprised at how many guns they, they, they have. Some in Orange County uh, prep with finances, right? They are they're looming their kids' college or the high cost of living here, and they prep with finances. In Southern California overall, we prep for earthquakes. Some of us have bottled water and flashlights and emergency rations. There's all kinds of disasters you can be prepping for. The Apostle Peter once thought that he was well prepped for a night of crisis. The disciples had a couple swords and they were ready to use them. He was resolved, no matter what happened to Jesus that night, he was never going to leave Jesus Christ. Even if it meant dying for Jesus. Even when Jesus warned him, it wasn't going to go well. Peter was prepared to fight for Jesus, prepared to die for Jesus, but he was not prepared to suffer for Jesus. So the question this morning is, are you prepared to suffer for Christ? Are you equipped with a readiness to suffer? This morning in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see three reasons why we are commanded to prepare to suffer. I'm going to go ahead and read now from 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. It begins with a therefore, but I'm not going to read back from verses 18 and 22 yet because we'll go through most of that uh, uh, in, in just a few minutes. So starting in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Peter. Therefore... Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and, and they malign you. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Let's pray. Now, fathers, we do every Sunday, we thank you, for your word that you've given to us. And we thank you, Father, that your word is the tool that you use through your spirit because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection uh, that you use to transform us into the image of your son. Through your word, uh, we, we want to see your kingdom advanced, not just in this world, but also in our lives. 
So, Father, we pray that you would accomplish your kingdom purposes in us this morning. We know that the book of 1 Peter uh, talks about a lot about suffering. And we confess that uh, sometimes we can turn away from suffering. We can fear it. We've been challenged in the book to not fear what they fear, even as we see America's tolerance changing and how it is increasingly opposed to saying what is right and wrong. And we're not really surprised, Lord. We know that that is in human hearts. It's just becoming bolder. So, Father, as we think about suffering this morning, we ask, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts to suffer and that we would be motivated by your word, by the blessing of suffering, as described here by Peter. Please transform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as I said, we're going to see three reasons why we are commanded to prepare to suffer. So three reasons from 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3, why we're commanded uh, to prepare to suffer. But first, we need to look at, 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 the, at the command. And the command is arm yourselves with an expectation of suffering. Arm yourselves with this expectation of suffering. I am going to suffer. Arm yourself with that. And we're, we'll get to why I use that language here in a minute. It's not just because I spent time in Spokane and got used to guns. Arm yourselves with an expectation of suffering. Now, if you notice in your notes, I have verse 1b. You don't have to look in that verse 4 of letter B. It just means that it's going to be the middle portion of the verse. And I'm going to start with the middle portion because that's where the command is. The verse begins with a therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. But I don't want to spend all that time explaining what that is without looking at what the command is first. We're going to look at the command and then go backwards and see the reason for that. So let's look at what the command is. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. To arm yourselves. Now, in a general sense, this word in the Greek means to get ready. It can be getting ready for a meal, to get ready for a journey. It's anything getting ready what you might need for what you need to do. But it's also used in a, in a more spe- spe- specific sense, excuse me, of preparing for war, of equipping yourself with a weapon. It's to go to, and lots of movies have this scene where either two, two men are getting ready to, to duel. You go to the huge wall of weapons, and you pick what is the right weapon that you need. Do I, do I need an axe? Do I need a spear? Do I need a crossbow? You need to arm yourself. You need to equip yourself. But you're not equipping yourself with a weapon here, although that's the military language that Peter's using. You need to equip yourself with the same purpose. That's what it says in the New American Standard Bible, with the same purpose. The ESV has, with the same way of thinking. This purpose, this way of thinking, is what takes place in the mind. The word can be used in a general way, again, of of insight or equip your way with a thought or with knowledge. But combined with this word, arm yourself, we can see that there's more purpose behind this. Arm yourself with an intention. Equip yourself with resolve. This is not a a meandering, wandering way of thinking. It's not a a comfortable way of thinking, not a, a lax way of thinking. It's not the way of thinking you wake up with first thing in the morning. This is an essential resolve. It is a a pulling yourself up by the bootstraps way of thinking. So Peter defines this, this resolve, this purpose, 
as the same purpose or the same way of thinking. And we have to ask, what is that same way of thinking? And if we look back from the beginning of the verse, we're going to spend more time in it. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. It is a willingness, an expectation of suffering in the flesh, in this body here now. And Jesus came with that willingness, with that, with that expectation. In Mark 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came with the expectation of serving, with the expectation of suffering, of giving his life as a ransom. Philippians 2, 5-8 describes that attitude of Christ Jesus. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is that mindset that Christ came with. Jesus did not come with a way of thinking to be comfortable. He didn't come with a way of thinking, with a purpose of, you know, I'm going to... Take the least resistance possible. Jesus didn't come to win a popularity contest, to be accepted and liked by his peers. He didn't come with a consumer mindset. I want to experience all, you know, I'm going to have a short time as, as a human here. I'm going to experience all that life has to offer. I'm going to do some sightseeing. I'm going to taste exotic foods. Now, is there anything wrong with those things? Not in themselves. But that wasn't Jesus' mindset. I'm sure he thanked his father for every good thing he ate. He didn't come with a mindset of attaining the American dream. Jesus' mindset, his intention, his purpose, his resolve was suffering. It was suffering for preaching the good news of the kingdom. It was not of avoiding suffering. Now, it was, and to make clear, this is not a mindset where we pursue self-inflicted suffering. It's not like we wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go get as much suffering as I can. 1 Peter 3.17 reveals that suffering is in God's sovereignty. There are times we go through more suffering, times we go through less. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what's wrong. This is not just suffering for suffering's sake. It's if God wills it for doing right. But Peter is saying, arm yourself with a, a being ready to suffer attitude, with a prepared to suffer attitude, a willingness to suffer, an expectation of suffering. And why would we suffer? We suffer for refusing to sin, for refusing to do what is wicked. Many of you who are in junior high or, or high school or college experience that among your peers, a, a willingness to suffer saying no to sin. But there's also a suffering for proclaiming what is true. There's suffering for proclaiming that God, the creator, has the unique right to command his creatures. That is the kind of thing when we proclaim that we are putting ourselves in the place of suffering. 
We have to be prepared to suffer if we're going to say God made you and he has the right to command you. He has the right to tell you what to do with your body. You are putting your place of suffering then. You are putting yourself in a place of suffering if you are ready to say, no, God is a just judge and he is going to punish sinners for their rebellion against him. If you are willing to say that, you are putting yourself in a pathway of suffering. You're putting yourself in a pathway of suffering if you are ready to say there's only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you say that good news, you're putting yourself in the pathway of suffering. There's also suffering in doing hard things. There's suffering when we discipline our children. It is easier to not discipline our children, at least in the short run. But there is suffering. It is hard to do the right thing in training our children. It is hard to do the right thing in confronting our brothers and sisters in Christ and going to them when we see them falling away from the Lord and saying, Brother, don't fall away. That is hard. It is hard to confront sin in one another. This is the path of suffering that Jesus took. This is the willingness that we have to have as we look towards a lost world that needs saving. And Peter says, you have to arm yourself with this. You, 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 have, to, you have to put bullets in the gun, have that in your holster. You have to be ready, you have to be equipped. You just can't go strolling out to work without a readiness to suffer because you won't share the gospel. So that's the, the command, to be like Christ in a willingness to suffer, in a preparedness to suffer, in an expectation of suffering. But then Peter gives some reasons. And the first reason we, we've already kind of, kind of dabbled with here, it's in the beginning of verse 1. I just wanted to see what he was pointing towards before we look at the reason. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. So our first reason, we must prepare to suffer because Christ suffered. We must prepare to suffer because Christ suffered. With this therefore, Peter has us reflect on what he's just said. What he said in verses 18 to 22. And honestly, it's difficult for me as I've been meditating on this to limit which part of this verses to 18 to 22 is that therefore, therefore. Like which part of verse 18 to 22 does Peter want us to think about when he talks about Christ's suffering. And I think that the more you explore these verses, which we have over the last couple weeks, the more encouragement you find to arm yourselves with this attitude. Peter says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, that means before and during his, his, his crucifixion. And even as Peter says that, in his flesh, Jesus suffered in his flesh. Peter's drawing out that there's a temporary nature to the suffering. This suffering is only right now in this flesh. We don't know how many more days we have in the flesh. It's a limited suffering. Now, let's go more towards this therefore. And I think that the most obvious conclusion that Peter draws from verses 18 to 22 is that if Christ suffered in his life on the earth, in his days in the flesh, in his pre-resurrection body, we as his disciples must prepare to do the same, right? And, and Jesus prepares us for this. He says in John 15, 20, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus 
promises. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who's endured to the end who will be saved. If Jesus, who was sinless, who never needed to ask anyone for forgiveness for anything that they said, whose every word was perfect, whose every motive pure, if he suffered rejection and was despised, how much more should we expect the same? If they despise the sinless perfect one, I mean, it only follows we're going to be rejected. The more we become like our master, the more we can expect to suffer like our master. We are not beyond Jesus. If he suffered, so will we. And I think that's the most obvious from verses 18 and 22, the most obvious reason why that therefore is there. But also we could go deeper though. We must also prepare to suffer because Christ's suffering transformed us, because his suffering was effective, because of what his suffering accomplished. See, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died, and we think that the best word there, suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. See, Christ's suffering was effective. For those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, it has brought us to God. We have transitioned from being his enemies to his forever children, to his sons and daughters, from being slaves of this world to citizens of heaven. And his suffering has transformed us into those who effectively suffer for his purposes. His purposes were effective, and really, we get to participate in something that we know is going to be effective, because Christ has accomplished his goal. So as we suffer, it's not like, oh, this is going to go horrible. Listen, Paul in 2 Timothy 2.10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. And he's talking about the suffering he goes through in proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because there are the elect out there. We're going knowing that Jesus is going to bring people to worship the Father. We just have to go and be participating in finding them. Uh, I can't say if you do that today, you're going to find someone. I don't know when you're going to, but if we as a church are going out there, we are going to find the elect. That's, that is strong encouragement. That's because Christ's suffering accomplished what God planned. But there's also in the sense that we suffer for the sake of the body. Colossians 1.24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that Jesus' death wasn't enough to save us. We know that only his death can save us. Me dying too doesn't save you anymore. But there is a sense that God uses us in one another's lives, that God accomplishes his purpose that he accomplished through Christ by our ministry to one another. And so we suffer for your sake. You suffer for my sake and I suffer for your sake. We should be all suffering for one another's sake. And we should be suffering for the Denny's sake and for the Lee's sake and for the work that they're accomplishing as they suffer for our sake. It's a beautiful picture that this is how God is accomplishing his purpose. This is why we need this mindset of sufferings. This is how God gets his work done. We can also suffer because we know that Christ's suffering was victorious. It was purposeful, but it was also victorious suffering. He was victorious over death, 1 Peter 3.18, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. 
Jesus' suffering that ended in death was not the end. He was made alive again in the Spirit. In that immortal, eternal, heavenly, powerful body. So when we suffer, it is those who will be resurrected and forever glorified. This this, this, this day, this, this week, the, these 30 years left, however many you have, they're just a blip, right? It's like one of those heartbeat monsters that goes up compared to the rest of eternity that we have. So what, what strong motive as Jesus was glorified? We too look forward to that. So we can suffer in the flesh because he, he's beaten death. He's taken away its sting. He's also victorious over the demons. We saw that in 1 Peter 3.22. Who is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. And this is why we are also willing to suffer. The supernatural forces that would threaten us are on Christ's leash. They come no closer than Christ allows. The lies that are hurled against God's people, the efforts to extinguish God's people, they are all going to fail. Satan has never succeeded in stamping out God's kingdom. It will advance. No one in the universe, no demonic power can thwart Jesus' plan. So this is thrilling. This is why we can arm ourselves with this intention, with this resolve to suffer. Because Jesus has won and death has been defeated and people are being saved. They are being brought to God through the proclamation of the gospel. So this is why that therefore is there. As we prepare to suffer, we must remember that suffering was God's path to Christ's victory and glory. Suffering was God's path for Christ's victory and glory. And it will be for our glorification as well. That's why Peter begins with, Therefore, since Christ also suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. So that's the first reason. Because Jesus suffered. And then we can look at the second reason. And the logic of this is fascinating. We must prepare to suffer because suffering is sanctifying. We must prepare to suffer because suffering is sanctifying. One of the sweet things about uh, you, brothers and sisters, is that I know you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to obey him. And so this verse is incredibly encouraging. Because it's going to help us as we desire to be holy, to be sanctified. The end of verse 1 says, Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Arm yourselves with the same purpose that Jesus had, this purpose of suffering in the flesh, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so here, Peter points to a practical effect of a readiness to suffer. He motivates them. He motivates them, arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, this doesn't mean that we as believers, as we suffer, become perfect, or that we become sinless, or that we become no longer capable of sin. That would be awesome. But then we wouldn't be relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, that the person 
who is resolved to suffer also has this unbreakable resolve to obey. See, the believer who is willing to suffer for Christ in proclamation of the gospel and in making disciples views a life of pursuing pleasure in the rearview mirror. It's what's behind him. Selfishness was our pre-baptized life, our pre-coming to Christ life. Our current life, the life in which we've died and been raised with Christ, through union with Christ, that, that life has a different purpose. That is to be holy. So if a believer is willing to suffer for Christ, if it just follows logically. He's willing to say no to sin and suffer Christ, because that's what suffering is, right? It's suffering is, 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 it is not, it's going through pain. It's going through hardship. So if we're willing to say that, we're, of course we're going to say no to other sin. When we are willing to suffer, the believer's understanding of what is eternally significant, the believer's understanding of what is true, of his desire to please God, of his desire to see Christ glorified on this earth, of his knowledge that Christ is reigning, all of that is what propels him into a willingness to suffer by opening up our homes to strangers, by, by risking having a gospel conversation with someone who may not talk to us ever again, that pushes us to disciple someone who is kind of being hard-headed. All of that pushes us into saying no to ourselves in every area of life. So would you be done with the sin that's grasping at your heel? Would you be done with laziness? Would you be done with independence? Would you be done with self-centeredness? Then say yes to suffering. And again, this is not an, an immediate and forever change. But there's this resolve that comes along with saying, yeah, this morning, this morning I'm ready to suffer. This morning, I'm going to be about making disciples. I'm going to make disciples of my kids at home until God saves them. I'm going to be making disciples of, of lost people. I'm going to be making disciples of saved people. This is my purpose. The allure of the TV dies. The allure of the flesh weakens because you're in a big game here. You're, you have a bigger purpose. Suffering for Christ will be decisive in your sanctification. The one who is engaged in kingdom advancing warfare is not consumed with pleasing the flesh. Brothers and sisters, has a fear of suffering led you to back off making disciples, of sharing the gospel, of opening your lives and your homes and your schedules? of saying hard things. We got to look at that, at that benefit. This, this ceasing from sin, this, this resolve in our mind. I'm done with that life. But there's more motivation next in reason three. So the person who commands, who arms themselves with this purpose of suffering, this resolve of suffering, they do so because Christ suffered. They do so because suffering is sanctifying, but they also do so because suffering unifies our resolve to do God's will. 
Suffering unifies our resolve to do God's will. 1 Peter 4.2 says, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Rest of the time. Our time in the flesh is limited. And, 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 and Peter's using that word the same way he did in the previous paragraph. The flesh, our, our, our body before we get our resurrected body. In, in this life now, it's limited. It's counting down the days and God's books have been written. And after today, we'll have one less left. So what do you want to do with the time that is remaining? Will you spend them for the lust of men? Peter says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men. Will you spend it on our, 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 our human desires and our cravings? Now, Peter has already urged the believers to not go back to their formal lust. And it's not, it's not necessarily here referring to, to sexual lust, although that would be included. But everything that's natural to lost humanity, passions and impulses, the cravings. 1 Peter 1.14, he said, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. Don't, don't mold yourself to those old lusts. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Now these lusts could definitely be what is forbidden by God, but also these cravings too, it can be too much of what God does allow. As, as many biblical counselors have often said, a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. When all of a sudden something that's allowed by God is something that you are, are craving and, and, and desiring to the point of excluding God. To the point of that's what you love more than him. 1 John 2, 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The loving the Father expels the love of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What do you seek when you have time off? What do you crave? What do you wake up and long for? What propels your direction and what compels your decisions? Is it God's glory? Is it the Christ-likeness of his people? Is that what motivates you to see God's glory as we are transformed to be like his son? Will you spend the rest of your time for flesh, for cravings, or for the will of God? That's what Peter says. So this is the result of arming yourselves with this purpose of suffering. It shows what the rest of your time is going to be spent doing. Is it for pleasure or is it for God's will? Is it doing things my way or his way? You see how decisive this is. And it's not like a one time only. It's again and again and again. Will you spend the rest of the time, your time, for the will of God? Will your planner reflect what God requires from you? as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, as you make disciples, as you love one another, as you use your gifts in the body, as you train your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, as you wives submit to your husbands and you husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, 
as you do your work is unto the Lord. And I know even as I say that, there is a lot of God's will that we are required to do. It is not only making disciples. There's lots of commands we have. See, those who arm themselves each day with this anticipation of suffering have decided what they are going to do with the time remaining to them. The one who's armed themselves with this mindset of suffering has one thing in his planner. He has one thing in his planner. He crosses out everything else, and he puts in there the will of God. Now, if you're late for, for, for meetings, I don't want you to blame me. It's the will of God. I'm done with that old life, with everything that I used to do. From now on, it is time to obey, because the one who does the will of God is the one who is saved. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who is committed to obedience is the one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is committed to obedience. Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the will of God without any ex exceptions, with, with taking his word and saying, I'm going to obey all these commands. But I understand that that requires balance though, right? We, we still need to provide for our families. We, 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 we may say, whoa, we need an at-home night so I can focus on serving my wife and my children. It is not all about only being out in a lost world proclaiming the gospel. It's, it's looking at all the commands that he's given us. It's not intentionally ignoring any of his commands. And you see how, how much we must believe the Lord is good if we're going to do this? We can't look at his will and say, oh, he's oppressive. No, it's the, it's the same faith that brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we knew that we had sinned. And we go to him and saying, oh, Father, please forgive me. I know that I've disobeyed you. I know that Christ took the punishment that I deserved. My hope is only in you. When, when you understand that good news, that gospel, you love his will, you can't wait to obey it. His will is not oppressive to us if we, it's only oppressive if we forget the gospel. And it's only good to us if we remember the gospel. It is good news. His will is not bad. Now, Peter could motivate us to do God's will in so many ways. He could motivate us by saying, by doing God's will, Christ is glorified. Or because Christ loves you so much, do his will. Or because of the gospel, do his will. And I think he's done that some in 3, 18 to 22. Or because Christ died for you, do his will. Well, we see how he emphasizes and motivates us to do God's will in verse 3. That's some common sense here. Peter chooses to emphasize the foolishness of returning to what you've been saved from. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter employs a little uh, uh, irony here, maybe even sarcasm. He says, the time already past is sufficient. 
he doesn't say the time past is enough and mean that, right? He says it's more than enough. You wasted your days. So don't go back to that. Those, those desires of the Gentiles, those who didn't have God, remember, he's speaking to a largely Gentile audience. Gentiles here is a way of just referring to those who don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he contrasts two times. In verse 2, he talks about the rest of the time in the flesh. That is our post-conversion time with a time already past, which the time before Jesus Christ in verse 3. Peter uses the perfect tense three times in, in verse 3 to emphasize this decisive break between the time before and the time after conversion. It's time already past. It's time when, when, when they have carried out, having pursued a course. That is what things used to be. That, that phrase, having pursued a course or, or living, it's the pattern of life, the pattern that one takes. And, and he describes it as, as, as a life of, sen, of sensuality. That's a self-abandonment. It's a pursuing pleasure without self-restraint, a life of debauchery, often of, of, of sexual pleasure. Lust, again here, and it's the same word as he had just used, but here it's referring to, to sexual pleasure, to outside of God's boundaries of marriage. Drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties. It's an unrestrained pursuit of pleasure, including alcohol and food and sex at, at, at wicked parties. Everything that happens at college frat parties. And then he refers to all these together as abominable idolatry. Abominable, it's forbidden. It is what is repugnant to God, what is disgusting to God. And in the Gentile world, these kinds of activities were, in, were inseparable from idolatry. And we see the world embracing these kinds of activities in an ever-increasing public way. Embracing them, applauding them, taking pride in them. What has been kind of loosely hidden in America. I say hidden. I mean, MTV's been on a long time. But it's going mainstream. It's going big. You advertise with this. Peter said, you already spent your time doing what the nations wanted. And I know that in a, a America that we have, there is a lot of morality still. And some of you, even before getting saved, did not thoroughly pursue these things the way that the Gentile world did. You might have had a cleaner conversion, but you knew your heart was just as wicked as these things. That you knew that, that although you maybe hadn't done these things, you were just as deserving of hell. And that is the testimony of those who grow up in Christian homes. I am just as wicked and just as guilty and just as desperately in need of a Savior. You see, theologically, in yourself, the capacity for all those things, even if God has restrained that conduct. And really, I think that's what we see in America, is what, he, what has been restrained just going public, or what's been hidden in homes going public. So Peter's calling them, confirm your commitment to Christ. Remember, he just reminded them of their baptism, of their salvation. Confirm your commitment and be done with those sins. Don't go back. So if you're serious about not returning to sins, what are you going to do? You're going to prepare to suffer. See, so often we leave this out of our sanctification. 
right? We have all kinds of resolves. Oh, I'm not gonna get on the internet when I'm at home alone. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna get some accountability. And all those things are good. But we leave out what Peter says here. And it's okay because we don't always study the whole Bible, right? There's a lot of it. And here, this, this is a whole new aspect. Are you prepared to suffer? What you did publicly at baptism, are you prepared to keep doing that? Are you prepared to keep publicly aligning yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to keep making disciples? Are you going to go forward with the gospel? Are you going to retreat into your home? Are you just going to Netflix your Christian life away? See, sanctification doesn't come with that kind of life. I don't, don't mean that we won't say no to some sins and grow in others. But, but, but Peter says, if you want to be careful, if you don't want to go back to that wickedness, then arm yourself with this mindset of suffering. There's not two choices here. There's the, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not really two, two choices, but ultimately there are. There's, there's, the, there's, there's two ways to think about this. There is the will of God and suffering. You do the will of God and you suffer. But you can't choose the will of God and not suffering. Right? And that's Peter's point. You can choose to suffer and do the will of God. Or you could choose not to suffer and just going back to the whole wicked world you left. Being ready to suffer daily will lead you to do God's will daily. It will organize your priorities, not around the many options, but about what is essential. So if you want to have a safe, holy Christian life, arm yourself with that mentality of suffering, right? The safe life is the dangerous life. It's the risking life. It's the dying to yourself. So Christ is glorified life. Before Jesus died, Peter thought he was prepared to suffer, right? Matthew 26, verses 33 and 35. Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. See, Peter thought he was willing to suffer. But in the end, Peter was more equipped with a sword to swing at a servant's ear than a willingness to suffer along with the suffering servant. That night during Jesus' trial, before the rooster crowed, Peter denied knowing Jesus. See, Peter had not armed himself with Jesus' purpose. He had not equipped himself with a resolve to suffer along with Christ. He had not been willing to suffer in the flesh. He thought he was, but he had not armed himself with that mindset. But the Lord Jesus changed Peter, and he can change us too. The one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, living the rest of his life for the will of God. Will you live for the will of God? Then you must prepare to suffer. Let's pray. And dear Father, I thank you uh, for the logic here of what Peter is saying. And uh, he is challenging uh, us, and we are humbled by what your word has preserved for us. Lord, we pull back from suffering 
in so many ways. But whether it's the suffering of minor suffering of having people we don't know into our home and how that might make us feel uncomfortable or the suffering of knocking on a neighbor's door to get to know them or the suffering of risking a relationship at work or relationship with a family member. That even of a brother or sister in Christ, we aren't willing to risk suffering. Father, we confess that. I, I can't confess that's in everyone's heart, Lord. I, I know I struggle with that, Lord. I know many of us do. And Lord, we also confess um, that our, our lives lack doing your will in many ways. Lord, that, there's, that, that we lack a resolve, not just a willingness to suffer, but our, our lives get muddied and confused. And we find the allure of everything the world has to offer. And we know that we love you, Lord. We confess that we love you. But the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and all the, all the frivolousness of it just is so tempting. Lord, we see Jesus' wisdom in calling Peter to come and be a fisher of men. We thank you, Father, that you indeed made him into that fisher of men. And we want to play our parts, Lord. We want to be used in your grace for the glory of your Son. We want to be faithful in, in making disciples. We want to be optimistic that there are elect out there, that Christ's death accomplished the salvation of your chosen. And we want to be used by you in finding them, and used by you in, in one another's lives, Lord. So please, Father, protect us from from too quickly getting into our cars or too quickly shutting the doors on our homes, too quickly just turning on the television, getting online. Lord, help us to do what Peter calls us to and to prepare ourselves to suffer like Christ did. He loved your glory. He did your will. And your will was for none of us to perish. Lord, he accomplished that purpose and help us to be engaged in our parts in accomplishing that same purpose for your glory. Help us to prepare in the morning for this task you have for us throughout the day. Lord, we need your grace. We thank you so much, uh, Father, that we get to now focus on what Jesus did so that we can obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.